Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Kumo Majesty 9 Solus TA91. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. The Thread is a new hit podcast from Ozzy Media that explores history's surprising connections in order to discover how one thing leads to another. Like how movie moguls in early Hollywood helped spark the Me Too movement today. Get it on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen. What's going on, everybody? John Middlecoff live here on the 3 and Out podcast. Not live because we're recording this bad boy on the Colin Coward podcast network. Got a big show today. Have Lincoln Riley, the head coach at Oklahoma, will join me. He actually already joined me because, again, podcast recorded it. You're going to hear some knocking in the background. People are working on the roof. Uh, Because I'm a baller, I'm on the top floor, so the roof is literally right above me. And uh, nothing I could do. I I was on Lincoln Riley's time. He he was great. Tells a couple of Mike Leach stories. Uh, Was a a fun interview. So he'll be on here in a second. And then uh, I'll end the podcast with the Middlecoff Mailbag. As you know, wherever you get your podcasts, but specifically iTunes. If you go to iTunes, subscribe rate. And in the review section, leave me a couple questions. uh, And I'll bang them out, especially throughout the summer when, when times slow down. As I said... Referencing guests, I'm going to work in interviews with this podcast, but I got to start one place really quick. I, I saw this number and it kind of jumped out to me. And, and let me preface everything by this: I worked in the NFL. My personal takeaway when it was all said and done was, I, you know, I thought it was a little overrated. You know, I, I had different professional aspirations. And let me also say this because I'm going to get into here about the NFL versus the NBA, and, and something I think you see on social media, and something I think is just. I mean, it is. Just this isn't opinion. This is factual, uh, untrue. I, I love the NBA. Probably my favorite sport growing up. Like anyone, you know, my age, guy born in the mid '80s. I grew up on Michael Jordan. 
and I watch basically every, for the last five years every single Warriors game plus another 30 or 40 just random games. So I, I, I love the NBA. So I'm not trying to be a hater. I think the NFL is a tad bit overrated. Worked in it. Love talking about it. I like doing what I do now much more than actually working in the league. And I, I like the NBA. That being said, I think there's this notion and this narrative that the NBA is coming for the NFL. The NBA is going to be America's sport. And my, my first reaction is just, let's pump the brakes. Now, I'm a big believer, like most people in any business, you're either growing or you're dying. There's not really much in between. And most people you most people listening probably work in different businesses you know it's either it's either trending up or trending down so you could argue the NFL has been trending down the thing is though the NFL has such had such a gargantuan lead in terms of fandom in terms of eyeballs and i think people forget this and you see, you often see media members on twitter when fans go i pay their salary and media members are like what you're wrong well indirectly fans do pay people's salary and here's how. What pays all this money for the three major leagues, Major League Baseball, the NBA, and especially the NFL, are these television contracts. Why are these television networks paying so much money to have the rights to the NFL? Because the NFL has the most eyeballs. And where do the eyeballs come from? The fans watching the games. Well, last week, the NBA draft happened, and it was one of the bigger drafts in years, ton of star players. Under three point, like two million people watch the draft. You go, damn, that, that's a lot of people. It's just I started thinking, like, how many people watch the NFL draft? Not all three days, just that first night, the big night, Thursday night, the first round. And I was like, ah, you know, five, six million. It just off the top of my head, I'm I'm not some like media critic. It's not like I have these numbers in my back pocket. And I googled it. I looked around. Almost four times as many people. This is not including Friday or Saturday. Now, I mean, even you got to be kind of a loser to watch all day Saturday. Hell, I, I love the NFL draft, and I, I can barely keep up on Saturday. But on Thursday night, almost 12 million people, like uh, I, I rounded up actually, uh, like 11.2 million people watch the NFL draft. The popularity of the two sports is not even close. So when you see this narrative that the NBA is going to take down the NFL, they have one of its most polarizing players in the history of the NBA right now in LeBron James. Now, he's still in his prime, still fantastic. They get 3.3 million people watch their draft. More people on a regular season NBA game watch the WWE, and it's not even close relative to the NBA. Like, the NFL is out so far in the lead, they're like secretariat. Now, in the next 20 years, can things change? Of course. Does the NFL have issues with concussions, CTE? 100%. But they have one thing going for them, and one thing that the NBA and definitely baseball cannot replicate. And the NBA for a reg- they have an irrelevant regular season. The Warriors just admitted after the season they did not try. The NFL and college football, which is probably the second biggest sport in America in terms of eyeballs, also has this going for them. Urgency. Every week matters. And their inventory, because you only play once a week makes that game so much more important and also creates more people to watch. Like, you don't need to watch some random game in December of the Sacramento Kings playing LeBron James. No one cares. The reason Thursday Night Football is not only going away, it's become a success. Social media loves to tell you, like, how shitty Thursday Night Football is. And I'm not the biggest fan, and I think it's very unfair to the players and the coaches. But people watch. I mean... 
millions upon millions of people watch, the NBA would die for a playoff game, let alone a regular season game, to have that many eyeballs watching their product. It just does not happen. And it's why the, the social media, and especially the NFL media, and this is one thing I've never understood, the media, listen, there's, the sports media is not very good at business. They don't have a good feel for it. The sport, the NFL media loves beating down the NFL. And I often just think, like, all these people in the sports media have never made more money. I mean, several of them are multimillionaires. Uh, many, I would say, a large majority of guys on different major sites, you know, make six figures, have great lives. And they just love beating down the NFL. And think about in your job. If you have a quote-unquote partner that you work with uh, or do business with, you try, and, and listen, I'm not trying to like shill for the NFL or saying they should prop up the NFL. I like being critical. It's one of the things that I think in my short media career has helped me out. I, I don't really care. I'll say what, whatever I think. So I'm not like saying you shouldn't be critical of the NFL, but the over-the-top nature and just pure emotion from so many media members makes you often think like, God, is the NFL really in trouble? It's actually not. You know, you could argue it's the it's having the greatest success we've ever seen from a professional league. And relative to the NBA, and Bill Simmons says it all the time, like the NBA is it should expand. We should expand. Like, Bill, have you not checked the television ratings in the majority of these markets? Like I live in the Bay Area. The Warriors do enormous television ratings. People watch. You go to Phoenix, you go to Minnesota. You go to Atlanta, you go to Orlando, nobody watches. The Raiders were horrendous last year. I mean, terrible. They are the second team in the Bay Area, and they are leaving. And they did bigger numbers than the Golden State Warriors on their broadcast, locally, in the greater Bay Area. It is not a fair fight. So just be careful when you see like the NBA is surpassing the NFL. I'm not saying it won't one day. Hey, listen, you, you never say never. But we are... I mean, I'll probably have multiple children by then, and they'll be, you know, maybe heading to high school if it ever were to happen. And right now, for your information, I do not have children. So let's just pump the brakes on some of these narratives that take a life uh, on social media and you see through different media members because they're just factually incorrect. Uh, And and it just got me thinking last week with the draft, which I, like many of you, I, I like drafts, so I was locked into the NBA draft. But the problem is, relative to the NFL draft, it ain't a fair fight. Okay, uh, very, very excited. I've had Andy Reid, Matt Nagy, my first college coach, the head coach of the University of Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley. Lincoln, what is going on? Not much. All's good here. Summer, uh, summer's going well with the team, and uh, yeah, excited about the uh, upcoming season. What's, uh, what's the offseason like for you right now, just mainly recruiting? You can't, can you work with your team? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, it's limited time right now, but uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit of time with the team, uh, a little bit of in-house recruiting. Got some. We can't be out, but some of the recruits are coming in town to visit us during this time of year. Uh, so that's been good, and then a chance to kind of start planning ahead for for fall camp and the season. So uh, yeah, always always at it. You know, I was uh, watching a couple YouTube videos of some interviews you gave, and you were, I think, last week somewhere in Tulsa, and they were just peppering you. And it reminded me, I live in the Bay Area, like Kyle Shanahan or Gruden would get on their quarterback about your guy getting drafted. And obviously it was somewhat of a wow moment here. The Oakland A's took took Kyler number nine overall. What, what was your first reaction? I knew, I think we all thought he was going to go in the first round, but 
top ten. That's pretty high. Yeah, no, I was excited for him. I mean, yeah, what a what an opportunity. I, you know, I, I definitely you know kept up with him through this year in baseball. I'm not an expert on that by any stretch. So, uh, I mean, I know he's a talented kid. It was hard for me to predict or, or have an opinion on where he would go or when he would go. But yeah, for him to go top ten and and uh, have a team commit to him that way and obviously gives him a, a great opportunity, uh, a special moment. You know, great moment for him and his family. That's that's hard to do in any professional sport. You know, I, I saw you say, and I, and I agree, that he's almost being underestimated a little bit for how he throws the ball because of how fast he is. And just watching some of his highlights last year when he came in for Baker, I, I mean, he can throw the pill. He can. No, he can. I mean, he was a very efficient passer in high school. Uh, never never had any questions about, you know, his arm strength or his, his accuracy, any of his ability to throw the ball. So, uh, no, he's uh, – He's a gifted. He's a gifted football player, no doubt. Uh, guy can move. Guy can throw. Um, very little on a football field that he can't do. What's this off season been like without Baker? You know, your first since you've been at Oklahoma without him around. Has it been a, a little different? Oh, in some ways, yes. Uh, but in some ways, no. You know, you get used to in college football. I mean, you you got guys leaving each and every year. You know, so you yeah. get used to. You, you get used to that. You know, we've had a lot of key players depart here over the last few years, and you got to continue to have new leaders step up, new, get new players step up at different positions. Uh, Baker was a big presence on this team, no doubt about it, but we've got other guys that are kind of stepping in. So uh, it, as it felt different at times, maybe a little, but uh, that's, that's part of this game. Do you remember the first time you were ever – obviously you guys didn't really recruit him. He just kind of showed up, walked on. First time you met him. I mean, I would imagine you're taller than him, right? Yeah, yeah, I definitely am. I mean, were you uh, thinking Heisman Trophy potential, you know, guy that could lead us to a national championship at the time you shook his hand? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't – I was here uh, – he had been here one semester, you know, before I got here. Um, and so I got here in January and met him then. I, I knew he had been a good player at Texas Tech, you know, his first year. and knew a little bit about his story. But, uh, no, I just uh, – Enjoyed kind of getting to meet him, and we went to work pretty quick on the playbook. We had a pretty interesting quarterback competition at that point with three guys that had started, all started in one major college football game. So it was, uh, yeah, just trying to get the offense in as fast as we could and get those guys ready to compete. So, uh, but no, I, I liked him. You could tell he was serious about what he was doing, and then once you got on the field, you could tell that he, you know, he definitely had some talent. Was there a game or a moment where you go? That first year coaching them, that we got something here. Like this guy's, this guy's legit. Yeah, after we beat Tennessee, his second game, we played terrible offensively. We played great defensively, yeah, uh, but terrible on offense. The first about three and a half quarters of the game, we were down. Oh, I can't. I think twenty-one nothing, and and uh, and we rattled off. You know, I think we scored touchdowns on the last four or five possessions of the game to win the game and, on the road, right? Yeah. He, on the road, yeah, yeah Neil, really watching it was that game. night game, pretty hyped up game, and and a uh, great atmosphere. And he, I pre, you know, I, I thought he really hung in there, competed hard the entire game, even when it wasn't going our way. You know, stayed trusting within the system, which is hard for a, a guy to do when he's young and and new into a system and has a new coach. And so, I I, I thought after that point that you know we might have a, a chance to be pretty good, and that that he had what it took to to be the guy that we needed him to be. You know, I I probably fell where most people did coming into the season. Thought Baker was a good player. First round might have been a little high for me, and then that Ohio State game happened this year. Just for you, him, the entire program. I mean, that was a massive game, and he was just—I mean, he was lights out. And then it was kind of off to the races for you guys. 
what was the biggest growth this offseason, him coming into a senior year that, that you saw, you know, just from a football standpoint that, that he improved at? Um, you know, it really – there was definitely growth. Uh, I, there wasn't a whole lot different, though, that I would say that he did this year that he didn't do his first few years. I mean, he played it pretty well. I mean, he almost – he almost won the Heisman as a sophomore, and I think, uh, and then was a finalist. Uh, you know, again as a as a junior. So I mean, he, he, his play had been pretty good. I think you know probably just probably just you know when you when you win on such a big stage there, you know, it's the most hyped non conference game of the year with uh, with us in Ohio State. You you win in the fashion we did there, and then have the counter run we did as a team and. Uh, did offensively, uh, you know, I think it, it brought some attention to it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he continued to play very, very efficient. Uh, I was probably the most proud of how he grew with it, with his teammates. You know, we had a lot of new pieces on this offense, really an entirely new running back and receiving core. And for him to be able to kind of learn those guys, get on the same page with them, and us to, you know, continue – you know, or, or even better, the production that we had had the previous few years, despite that, was was uh, you know something that he had a big part in, and, and took a lot of growth and maturity from him. Yeah, and then obviously you guys were rolling. You know, big. You're one for one, coach. I mean, you, you've coached one year, you've won one uh, Big Twelve championship, uh, and then had the chance to play in the Rose Bowl. How much? I, I know coaches are always you know looking forward, but th- that that game. Have you thought a lot about that game? Is that has that been? You know, I know you have. I think you said one of the the youngest teams so far since you've been around the program this this upcoming year. You, you guys focus on on that, use that as motivation, or is it just all kind of in the rearview mirror now? Oh no, I always think it's a little bit of both because you have some some carryover as a as a program, and and you do have some of the guys that were that were a part of that. So I, I think you try to learn the lessons uh, from it. You know, both the. Things we did well because we did do a lot of things very well last season and 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 even in that game and then you're always trying to figure out the few ways that you can that you can get better. So uh, no, I mean it was a listen, the game was a great experience. I mean it was uh, you know I think two of the two of the three best college football teams in the country going at it. Uh, a lot of momentum changes, a lot of unbelievable plays, uh, doing it in one of the best settings in all of sports. And uh, it came down to one play here or there by, the, by, yeah. by, by either team. And uh, so, you know, of course, we we didn't like or expect the outcome. But, but, you know, you can't be afraid of the moment. You can't be afraid of putting yourself there and putting yourself out there. So we, we love the chance to do it. And we're going to go fight like hell to try to get back there again. You know, I think most people have kind of got to learn, you know, your story a little bit, your background coming from Texas Tech. But I had Eric Burkhardt, who's Cliff Kingsbury's agent and was at Texas Tech when you were there. And he was rattling off when you were playing and a backup quarterback, some of the coaches on on that Mike Leach staff. Mike Leach staff. Uh, yeah. I mean, that just a think tank of, of offensive minds from Art Bryles to Sonny Dykes to obviously Mike uh, did, did you know early on even when you were playing that coaching was going to be a be an option I, I thought it would be I I, I kind of it's kind of planned on, on uh, trying to be a high school coach I, I I felt pretty early in my career that all that football was going to be a part of my life you know some way somehow and yeah and then once I got into college and got a little bit of taste of that I really felt like that was the level I wanted to be at and so yeah when I got an opportunity to do it at Texas Tech it was just a, an open door that 
I didn't know if I'd ever get again, or I didn't know. I originally never knew if I would get an opportunity to begin with. So uh, yeah, I just kind of took it and ran with it. Obviously, obviously, like you said, was on a a great staff, had a lot of great great minds, uh, you know, coaches, the guys that have gone on to do some great things in this business. Several of which are now, you know, lucky. I'm lucky to have here with me at Oklahoma. And, yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was just a great environment to learn in. Great group of guys to be around. You remember the first time you met Mike Leach? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What was that like? Oh, definitely. Yeah, he he put in the – it was a quarterback meeting. Uh, after I got on the team, there was a first quarterback meeting in the spring. And the whole quarterback meeting, he talked about he talked about dip. Um, he didn't talk about football, not one word. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it was just – it was just, you know, it's just him. I mean, that's just him. I mean, he's done a obviously an unbelievable job throughout his entire career, but he does it in a way different than anybody I've ever been around. And so uh, I learned pretty quickly that, you know, it was, you know, he's got his quirks, and and uh, but he's obviously very effective at what he did. But it, there was uh, there was never a dull moment uh, with Mike. Never. I, you know, I remember I scouted, I went through Washington State, and a, and a graduate assistant. I just kind of asked him what Mike was like, and he's like, "Well, you know, it's a little different than your traditional coach. He doesn't get here till around lunch, and sometimes <laughs> we'll start meetings at about midnight, and they'll go till three or four. You know, most coaches, I'd say, are kind of early birds, you know, getting 5 to 6 a.m., sure. and then even during the season, you know, get out of there at somewhat of a decent time. But I, did you ever have a meeting? Obviously, you coach for him for a while. I mean, what what time would staff meetings start? Yeah, no, we we definitely did he uh, throw your life for a loop coaching for him? Yeah, no, he did. And I was lucky by the time I became a full time coach, I was used to it. it. The harder years for me was when I was a student assistant, uh, was was uh, you know, having to take all my undergrad undergrad classes in the morning, get those done and then, you know, be up to the office about the time that, that we got rolling and then went pretty late into the night. So those were the Actually, the harder years, but I was, I guess, pretty acclimated. But yeah, no, it's a different. It was a different, uh, different deal. Yeah, we, I would say, our game plan meetings uh, on Monday nights. The average start time was probably between ten and ten thirty. But we definitely had some that started midnight or past midnight, without a doubt. I mean, several each year. So uh, yeah, it was a different clock. Mike's a night owl. Um, he would be up there all night then he'd go home and uh watch things he'd t-vote or this or that you know for several more hours and then uh i think he would you know probably on average probably sleep from like four or five in the morning to probably uh you know four in the morning to maybe noon you know and then uh yeah then you'd see him after that for example for people that don't quite understand the football schedule if you say you're game planning at like 10 or 11 at night like at oklahoma what, what time would that meeting take place yeah, not at that time. Uh, not at that time. Not real good for the kids and, no. and other families. And so, uh, yeah, we uh, we'll piece it together. But yeah, we normally we start it pretty early. We normally will hit a yeah five thirty or six o'clock in the morning type deal to to do it and and get it done and still try to have the rest of the day. So a, a similar schedule, but completely the opposite. You know, I remember watching you guys. It might have been your first year there as offensive coordinator, maybe your second. And there there was a I forget who you were playing, but. You know, when you say Lincoln Riley or the Oklahoma offense, you think spread. And I remember you guys getting in a goal line situation and Baker went under center. And you guys had like a heavy package. I mean, you had a fullback on the roster. And you see a lot of spread coaches that are kind of unwilling to even acclimate that. 
And that's been something, I know it's not a major part of your offense, but something that you don't shy away from. So, I mean, do you view yourself as someone that's just willing to, you know, factor in anything to your offense? You're you're never going to just, we're only going to do this, you know. You see a lot of the best offensive coaches that do a little bit of everything. Yeah, I, I think you, you know, if there's something you can do to help yourself, you got to be willing to do it. I think you got to have the personnel to do it too. I mean, I, you know, we're we're lucky here. We've got some good personnel. You know, we've got one of the best offensive lines in the country, and that's always been a strong suit here, as well as the running backs. And and then obviously we've had a nice run of quarterbacks and receivers. So I mean, we've had some good personnel. We've been able to use them different ways. Uh, give people, you know, some problems here and there. And and. Uh, and, and we've ran the ball so well. I mean, yeah. that's been really, you know, for all the attention that, that our receivers have gotten, Baker's gotten, you know, the, really the key for us has been how well we've been able to run the football here over the last few years. It's, it's set up so much of what we've done, and, and uh, we've been we've been pretty good up front. So uh, that's uh, that's a big part of it. And you got to be creative. you got to change up how you run the football. You can't – if you sit there and do the same thing all the time, people are good enough, they're going to catch on. So – so yeah, that's it's been fun to continue to develop in that area, and that's definitely been a key to our success. You think that'll be a different element this year, a little bit? Obviously, Baker ran, but Kyler's running is just on a different level, just with the top end speed. That your offense may have just some different wrinkles, maybe that it didn't have in the past. I don't know. We'll see. You know, both those guys, both Kyler and Austin Kendall, are pretty good athletes, and so. Um, you know, Baker was a good athlete too, certainly, you know, good enough to, to keep you honest. So, you know, they kind of all present their strengths. I think more for us, it's going to be about, you know, seeing, you know, who the best guy is, who's ready to, you know, take charge of this quarterback competition. And, and then just like we did with Baker, would with anybody else, once once we settle in on a guy, then, then we'll try to build some things around, you know, what they do very well. You know, I was looking at your schedule, and in the second game of the year, you got Chip Kelly, who – you know, obviously hasn't coached in college football for a little bit. Uh, I know, you know, coaching staffs all across the country spend the offseason just kind of slowly easing into some of their early opponents. Where do you even start with that? Do you look at his 49er stuff? Do you look at his Eagle stuff? Do you look at everything? Do you go back to Oregon? Yeah, you're going to you're gonna have to take a look at, a, you know, at a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, and Chip's obviously done such a great job offensively at all the spots he's been that it's going to um, – you know he's always going to present some challenges, and and you know we know how first games go. There's going to be you you can't obsess over it too much because there's going to be some things there that we haven't seen, and and uh, you know probably you know hopefully we can present some things they haven't seen either. So that's uh, you've got to be a little open-minded with those first games going into it, and, be, and I think being ready to adjust is always a big key to those. How much time do you personally spend watching tape over the off season on your opponents? Yeah, a decent amount. You know, at times it's a little. You know, my schedule's a little bit different. Uh, you know, now and so that's. Uh, you know, there's kind of there's been different times. You know, especially during the spring when our the rest of our staff is out recruiting and I'm not able to be out. There's some some time to do some of that and some prep work. So yeah, I try to catch up on it a little bit so that you're uh, maybe ahead of the game going into the season. You know, there was some reports. Obviously, the NFL people have been in and out of your program, especially this year with with a quarterback going so high. But that the coaches have come to learn from you. Have you developed, even obviously as the head coach now, but even before then, some tight relationships with head coaches around the NFL? That that you, I know Bob Stoops. You've talked about you know how much you bounce stuff off them, uh, and obviously all the Texas Tech guys. But what about NFL personnel that maybe you're friends with, or maybe you bounce ideas off of? 
Yeah, no, there's 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 some guys there definitely that have been good resources, uh, been been good to to like you said, bounce some ideas off of some guys uh, that had developed relationships uh, with before, you know, certainly before this year and all this happened at Oklahoma. And then yeah, the, as as uh, times have gone on and we've been able to visit with more staffs, there's been you know some more you know good relationships developed. So there's there's a lot of obviously great minds in that league and very experienced guys and so it's yeah it's been fun to to get to know some of those guys and and just have more resources and you know friends in the business that uh you know that you feel like are on your side or that you feel like you can uh go to with ideas questions or concerns and maybe they've been through something similar uh that that you know gives you gives you just a little bit of a leg up and helps you whether it's as a head coach a coordinator you know however you're however you're looking at it they're an offensive guy you stole something from the last couple years Oh yeah, we steal from a lot of people. All, all coaches steal. If they say they did. if they say they don't, they're lying. So there's, you know, there's only so many ways, you know, that you can, you know, change up what you're doing with eleven guys. You know, there's very little you're ever going to do that's the first time it's ever been done. So a lot of it's, you know, more of how you package things, or you know, it's more, you know, managing the the players more from the the kind of head coach point of view and. So there's there's so many different things uh, that you can ask guys and learn from. So we're always constantly trying to trying to find ways to make ourselves better. Where does Lincoln Riley vacation? A little bit everywhere. We're not a group that has like just one spot that we always go to. Always try to find a couple of places where cell phones don't work, which yeah. that's getting a little bit tougher uh, this day and age. But yeah, I like to fish. Like to like to get out of town with friends. Enjoy some of the big cities for a day here and there. Like to golf, you know. So yeah, just uh, you know, and then and probably the best thing now is just you know quick little getaways with my family, with my two little girls, and just get to spend some good quality time with them. Is vacation a little different now that you're the head coach, just in terms of things you're always thinking about, or maybe just the responsibility you bear, or does it still feel the same? Um, yeah, no, there's probably a little bit more on your plate now, you know, a few more things. I mean, it's, you know, it's always your responsibility and there's always something going on that needs your attention. So yeah, I, I may be thinking about it a little bit more, uh, some of the managerial sides of it, uh, you know, when I'm out, but I, I do know too, that, you know, if you've got to, you got to recharge your batteries. Yeah. You got to get away. Um, this job can, can burn you out quickly if you don't do it. So I know I've, I've you know, something I've tried to take advantage of and make sure I do that as well. Well, I know, Lincoln, I really appreciate you coming on, and I think I speak for the Bay Area. Now you got maybe a West Coast fan base with, uh, you know, the, maybe the future center fielder for the Oakland A's will be, uh, will be keeping tabs on you this fall. So, so good luck and excited to watch you in year two. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on today. Well, that was pretty cool. Basically, you know, got the Sean McVay of college football. And you know what? My biggest takeaway right there, and kind of a reflection, I had to look at myself in the mirror, I mean, he's one year older than me, is that he sounds like he's 50 years old. He sounds like he's Bob Stoops. I mean, talk about a guy that just has it together and just, just really impressive. And it, it's pretty clear that every year there are going to be NFL teams not only sniffing around. If he were to make the playoffs again this year with Kyler Murray, who, again, was drafted number nine overall by the Oakland A's, I think he will have offers uh, to go to go coach in the NFL. That being said, the one thing that I took away is he was a student assistant in college. He had aspirations about being a high school coach, you know, before he started working for Mike Leach, who's just an all-time character. That I don't think he's just some lock like Lane Kiffin. 
his dad was an NFL guy, so he had been around the NFL. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying you never say never, and it wouldn't shock me one day if he becomes an NFL coach, but some guys just like college football. You know, Chris Peterson at, at University of Washington, like to me, my, my big prediction one day is that when Pete Carroll retires, he'll take over Seattle. But I had heard from a lot of people that have been around him that he once said, if, if Kellen Moore's not good enough for the NFL, then maybe the NFL's not for me. And, and his point was, like, Kellen Moore's the best player he ever coached. And as you see him now in Washington, he gets by. His, his quarterback is not an NFL guy, and he wins a ton of games. That Some of these guys just like college. They, they like molding young men. They, they like the academic, not necessarily like homework and stuff like that, but, but just the impact that a program has on a young guy. And I, I think he just felt it and molded it there with Baker Mayfield. Even Kyler Murray drafted number nine overall. He wants to stay. He's at the University of Oklahoma. This ain't, you know, Oregon State, Iowa State. Probably a top three or four job in all of college football. And here's the other thing that unlike maybe beside Alabama, and really Alabama's a little bit of an outlier because Saban's there, most of these jobs are turnover coaches, you know, four, five, six, like, a, you know, they're not going a decade with a coach. Bob Stoops just had that job for almost 20 years. Lincoln goes, God, I have one of the best jobs in America. It's one of the most stable jobs in America, and I can win big here, and they pay. So I wouldn't bet on him just being a lock. Let's get to the Middlecoff mailbag every week, iTunes, subscribe rate, and then review section, leave a question, and I'll get to it. First one, Lucas K. Where do you rank Aaron Rodgers in the top players in the NFL? Obviously, his injury dropped his ranking. And anyone that saw the NFL Network, top 100, a- absolute joke. I mean, let's call it what it is. You can't, I, I don't really care what players think. They-, they clearly don't take this voting that seriously. I don't even think Khalil Mack was in the top 10. Aaron Rodgers was 10th. Like, I- I'm sorry. I- Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. Aaron Rodgers is the best player in the league. If he's not, I mean, he should be no farther down the list than two. Uh, I think he's the best, most talented player in the league. He is the he's the closest thing to just one guy can carry an absolute franchise, and he kind of has for the last three or four years. Their defense hasn't been very good. Uh, they're a one-man squad. Now Devontae Adams is really good. Uh, Randall Cobb's kind of hit or miss. Their offensive line has been solid. Their coach is good. They're you know, general manager now, Gudekins looks like he knows what he's doing. They've drafted a ton of cornerbacks. But but for my money, in 2018, with Brady being 41 years old, and I know he's the reigning MVP, I still think Aaron Rodgers is the best player in the league. Now, again, I, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time, but the, the list is a joke. You, you can't have him anything lower than two. So everyone in the league knows. I mean, he's just... He's the first bout Hall of Famer, and if he's healthy, the Packers are a lock playoff team. It's really that simple. Let's get to uh, uh, Blake Domination. Basically, long question here. Asked about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, you know, continuous disappointing seasons. I, to me, the main thing about Tampa Bay, and it really speaks to Jameis Winston, and I think you have to take a step back after Jameis. I, I said this earlier. If you don't, you can follow me on Twitter at John Middlecoff. I do a daily Twitter show, also on Instagram, trying to expand the Instagram, at John Middlecoff too. I, I went on a long rant about Jameis. If you said, if you put me in the situation, 
and claim that I sexually assaulted someone. I'm just speaking about me personally. I do not care what my lawyer told me, what he advised me. I would fight it till the death. Social media, any platform possibly, I would fight it. Jameis basically waved the white flag. I'm not going to fight or appeal this. I'm sorry. That's a pretty big red flag for me. And I've been a Jameis defender. But the the Jameis getting suspended for something that happened in an Uber is is terrible. Like, I, I don't know what Tampa does. They basically missed on the pick. There's no way around it. He had issues coming out of Tampa, or I mean, excuse me, uh, Florida State. And then he gets suspended. It's one thing to get deflated balls or bounty gate or do something football-wise that I, I get it. Hell, even a PED suspension? But to get suspended as the quarterback for something that involves sexual assault, that's beyond a head scratcher. Uh, I'm selling all my Jameis stock. I'm out. I'm out on Jameis. And I've been maybe one of the last guys that I think this guy can be a big player. I'm not only out on Jameis, I think it's pretty clear they made the wrong choice. And I'm not even that big of a Mariota guy. But Mariota would never get hurt. Or I mean, excuse me, never get in trouble. He he just, he, he might be the nicest guy in the league. And clear, James has already been suspended. I, I, I'm floored. I, I, I thought Tampa was a borderline playoff team. I, I kind of bought into the hype train, but I'm out. I'm out on their quarterback. You know, the coach is now basically a dead man walking. It, it wouldn't shock me if the franchise just kind of falls apart this year. You have the first three games. I mean, what if you start 0-3? Now, I know the record that James didn't play that well. James is a much better quarterback than Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is a major problem. I'm not trying to be over the top, but I think Tampa is screwed. And I think it all gets back to them picking Jameis Winston number one. They were adamant that he was this great guy, blah, 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 blah. Well, pretty clear that something happened because I know this. If I put myself in this situation, and I think a lot of you could relate if you put yourself in that situation. If you get accused of sexual assault and you are innocent, you're fighting that bad boy till the death. And clearly he just waved the white flag and said, I'm not going to appeal. I'll take the suspension. I... I can't wrap my head around that, and I can't, you know, I I basically look at it as as an admission of guilt, and that's a major problem uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Niners pass rush. Love the podcast. I know the 49ers brought in a few nice pieces. One underrated factor I think is going to ultimately kill their defense is the lack of pass rush. Any guys on the team that can sniff over six sacks don't see it. Uh... My biggest issue last year, and the, I was very hard on the 49ers for taking Solomon Thomas as high as they did. I did not, I didn't view him as a top 10 player. Now, he was excellent the last five games. I, I do think I need to be a little careful. And again, I, I still, I, I didn't love the pick. Now, I don't know necessarily in that given draft, there weren't any other pass rushers. They were kind of in a tough spot. There wasn't a great corner, there wasn't a sweet wide receiver. They, they were just kind of in no man's land, so they just took... They, they tried to hit a double. They didn't necessarily try to hit a home run. Uh, it, they wouldn't say that, but let, let's just call it what it is. I'm going to be a little careful with Solomon Thomas because I have a life philosophy, especially when it comes to football. You don't bet against high-character guys that are absolute grinders, that are smart. And Solomon Thomas is only 21 years old. And he is just off the field in terms of work ethic, in terms of working on his craft. He does everything possible to maximize his ability. Some of it is going to be on the coaching staff. Like, he's not really an edge rusher. He's an inside pass rusher. Put him over the guard. 
So if they put him in the right position, I think he could be seven, eight, nine sacks. I don't ever see him being some dominant pass rusher like JJ in his prime, Khalil, Von Miller, you know, even Aaron Donald, one of those guys. But I do think he can be a lot better than he showed because the one thing he does that if you do this consistently, you're going to end up with seven, eight sacks if you just play your ass off. And if you watched him last year, he just never stopped playing hard. That's why as the season went on, especially being a younger guy, he made so many plays, you know, those last five games. I think PFF had him graded as one of the best defensive linemen in the last five games of the season. And I have to be careful with this. Sometimes I make like hardcore stances with young guys. And young guys do have a lot of ability to grow, especially when you're 21, 22 years old. It's one thing if you're 28, 29, you've been in the league for five years, you are what you are. But this guy was an underclassman that came out early at Stanford, really just kind of hit the scene two years ago. I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on just saying that he can't be you know, a borderline Pro Bowl. Again, I when I take a guy number t- top five overall, I need him to be Khalil Mack or Von Miller. Now, the counter-argument to myself would be, well, you're only, you know, given what that individual draft is allowing you to take. So it's not like they passed on him, you know, or they took Solomon Thomas for Khalil Mack, but he's got to be the guy. DeForest Buckner is an excellent defensive tackle, but he, he's never going to be a double-digit sack guy. It's got to be Solomon Thomas. And it's on the coaching staff really to make sure that he's in the right position. Because if you keep asking him to come off the edge like he's Von Miller or Khalil Mack, it is not going to work. NFC North. Why are the Detroit Lions not getting any respect from anyone in this division? God, I love a good chip on their shoulder. Sure, the Bears will be better. Agree. But they're still the Bears. Okay, fair. The Packers only have Aaron Rodgers. Very true. And they're overrated to me. Agree. But Aaron Rodgers... Makes you actually not overrated if he's healthy, but that's a big if. Can you stay healthy? And of course, the Vikings are the team to beat in the division. From what happened last year, I think Detroit is the dark horse in this division. My only question would be this. Their offense is going to be good. I mean, Jim Bob Cooter has proven that they can score points. They have a first-time head coach. They not only, and it's not just your typical first-time head coach, it's a Belichick guy. And it's Belichick's defensive guy. So he has literally not done that much, you know, in his time with Belichick. He never ran the team. He didn't, even though he quote-unquote called the defense, it's Belichick's defense. And you've seen in the past with Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini, it does not have a great track record and resume of guys leaving the Belichick under his nest as a defensive guy and going to Detroit. Now, there was that hit piece, I think it was in the Detroit Free Press, about the team's already quitting on him because he was making them like run sprints. I think that's a little bullshit. But I do think there is something like, I, I don't know if Matt Patricia is going to be good or not. Uh, I, I would probably red flag it. Like, I he's going to have to prove that he's good before that I just think. Like, Kyle Shanahan, that was going to be a good hire. You know, uh, Pat Shermer, I'm pretty confident that'll be a solid hire. Even Steve Wilkes, all the things I've heard about him, you know, in Arizona, he might be okay. But to Matt Patricia, just because the division's really good, you got to play Aaron Rodgers and the Vikings are stacked. And even Matt Nagy, uh, you know, he was given the ability last year under Andy Reid to call the offense. I think Andy Reid's kind of resume of producing assistant coaches is much more fruitful in terms of success than what Bill Belichick has obviously done. Uh, Patricia's only known one organization, and and the general manager that hired him, Bob Quinn, is also a you know New England guy. I, I just think bringing that New England 
kind of mindset to do your job and the stuff that's great in theory and we you know Belichick's the goat no question about it it's just hard to replicate sometimes so it's gonna they also have a lot of established players a lot of guys that have been good under the old regime and it's such a stark contrast from from Jim Caldwell just the way that Patricia's gonna coach and you know the things that he's gonna demand like ask you weird questions when you're walking down the hall about the history of the league and all the stuff Belichick does I don't know if that works for everyone so, you know, I think Detroit is a tough team, and on any given week, they can beat any given team. Like, they are, they're, to me, you're just classic, like, 7-9, 8-8 team. That on, on any given week, they're going to upset some teams, but they're going to have some terrible losses. I, I I don't really look at them like a dark horse in this division. Uh, unless Patricia is just some star head coach, and I don't know, I'm just not seeing it. Hi, John. Pretty new to the podcast in general. Uh, oh, podcast in general. Well, Welcome. And you and Colin got the ball rolling for my interest. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm glad you're on board. What do you think the standard is in terms of win, wins, overall team performance, etc., for Hugh Jackson to keep his job at the end of the season? Tied into that, do you think Brown's participation in hard knocks is a play for Jackson to improve his image as a head coach? Okay, let's start with the first part. I think he's basically a dead man walking. I think there is almost no chance unless maybe Baker Mayfield would be the rookie of the year. But even then, I would say that Todd Haley would get a lot of credit because Hugh Jackson has even said he is not calling the offense. Todd Haley's going to do it. Uh, I, I don't see how he keeps his job. They'd probably have to go 500 or above. And when's the last time a team's won one game in two years and then they won eight? I mean, that's a pretty big jump. I mean, from one season to the next, seven games? You know, I mean, let's say the Niners made the playoffs this year. They went 10-6. and six. They, they only would have improved four games. They, they won six last year. Well, even if the Raiders, let's say, bounced back and made the playoffs and went 11-5 and five under Gruden, that would be a five-game improvement. Like seven games. This team's going to win seven games or seven-game improvement. Uh, actually, last year it would be eight, but I'm just talking about two years. I, I don't see there's any chance that he keeps his job. We, we see this consistently. GMs like John Dorsey that have a track record coming, he's going to want his own guy. He now has his quarterback. He's going to want someone to mold his quarterback. I, I kind of personally think if, if Baker has some success with Todd Haley and they have a good relationship, there's kind of an inside track of Todd Haley getting the job. To me, the image thing, you know, Hugh was kind of the star, what was it, four or five years ago when the Cincinnati Bengals, it might not even have been that long ago, maybe three years ago. Maybe it was a little longer than that. And he was a running back coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. And, you know, he's just he's got a personality for television. He, he's funny. Uh, he's got a huge ego, talks a lot. I mean, he's a, he's he's one of the, you know, if you had a hard knocks draft of just coaches, he would be near the top. Like, you'd rather watch him on hard knocks. I mean, you'd rather watch Belichick, but Belichick wouldn't give you anything. At least Hugh will give you a lot. To me, the image thing, I, I don't know if necessarily matters. Uh, I, I do, I'm somewhat of a conspiracy theorist that the moment that the Browns didn't, you know, fire him, the Bengals, who want him to be the coach because they're a very quirky organization and it's not easy to work for Mike Brown, that they will just wait for him to get fired this year if they win five or six games and Dorsey fires them. And then if the Bengals miss the playoffs, Marvin Lewis will be gone and Hugh Jackson will be their next coach. That's kind of what I believe that will take shape. Now, I don't know necessarily who Dorsey's candidates will be. Uh, like I said, I, I think that... Uh, Todd Haley has a good chance just because of the Baker Mayfield and the opportunity to, you know, make him look good. Anytime you can get an offensive coach with a young quarterback, teams just kind of lean that way. But I 
I, I think he was a dead man walking the moment John Dorsey came in. What was it, like week 15, week 16? That's never a good sign. So again, this is the Middlecoff Mailbag. You can leave questions in iTunes. I, I still got a bunch to get to over the summer. Subscribe rate in the review section. Leave your question. I'm glad you got a chance to hear Lincoln Riley. He's he's a stud. I mean, he's he's big time. And you can, every week, Wednesday, at least we, we might even up this bad boy come the fall, maybe do a couple a week. Three and Out Podcast. This is John Middlecoff. That's me hosting this bad boy. Brought to you by the Colin Coward Podcast Network. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts carol g juan gabriel christina aguilera what do these three have in common you mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.